Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's George Strombolopoulos, and you are listening to Tobin Tonight. <laughs> Thanks, George, for taking the time to come on. Uh, I'm going to get my kind of fanboy moment over here right off the hop. Do it. So I grew up watching, say, much music. And again, I don't know if you're familiar with wrestling, so I might kind of cut you a kind of a face promo and a heel promo all at the same time. But I grew up watching like Rick Campanelli, yourself, Leah Miller. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, this is Canadian based. And then, you know, just watching you do... Uh, I, I think I kind of fell out of love with much music when they started drifting away from doing what essentially what they were made to do. And then I was having this conversation with Rick Cabanelli and I was like, oh, yeah, like George Trombolopoulos went to do uh, The Hour and then it turned into George Trombolopoulos Tonight. And while I was at my Carlton days, I was actually taking tips from how you're doing interviews, not just with, you know, your Canadian acts, but like. Yeah. Guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin, right, uh, right. you know, Regis Philman. I'm like, okay, these are big names. And here he is just sitting there like calm, cool, collected. I'm like, how does how does he keep this all together when he knows right across from he could be getting a kick to the gut and a stunner? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Did you ever listen to the radio show uh, Live Audio Wrestling? I have a few times, yeah. So it, was, it used to be called Slam. And it was created by Jeff Merrick, Bob Mackowitz, and me. The three of us created that, and it got turned into live audio wrestling, the law. So I know those, I know those wrestling references for sure. Yeah, because like, I, I think even when you started the interview, it's like you went to shake, shake the or he shook your hand, and you and then you're like, a DTA, don't trust anyone. I was like, oh, just looking at his face, he was almost like, what did I sign up for? But then yeah. when the interview started going, I was like, geez, like he's a really kind of engaging guy. But yeah, like I give you props because that kind of got me interested in kind of like late night tv in the canadian aspect right right very cool well hey man i'm happy to be a part of this thanks for saying that let's start off right from the beginning like because i know you got a birthday coming up so this is covid what are you doing during your birthday nothing nothing <laughs> excited about it i don't i i've um like i'm generally a very solitary person even though i have a public life and i have a, I, you know I, I do like to go up with my friends and have a good time it's very easy for me to just slip into a very solitary existence and that's kind of what i'm built for it's kind of what i like so i will sit back i will air pop some popcorn and i'll i mean i'll probably see my mom and my sister that day we'll have like a yeah. little <laughs> socially physical distance you know hi how are you but i haven't been in toronto for my birthday in over 10 years so this is like the first time i'll be able to spend it with my family in a long time but then i'll just sit at home i'll watch a movie and i'll relax and who knows where we'll be in the NBA playoffs by that point or the NHL playoffs, so I'll probably just be watching a game. And at this point, you're probably like bittersweet of watching Montreal, hopefully. <laughs> no, I don't want, I mean, listen, yeah. Montreal and <laughs> Pittsburgh would be a disaster. But here's the thing if, if the, the chances of them getting the first overall pick are no greater than anybody else's, I mean, so I don't, I don't even know if it matters. Yeah, it, but it gives you that kind of, I guess, hometown kind of story, right? Like if it's Montreal, they have now Drew on board, and then you get. Yeah. 
Lafreniere. Like, you know, it's just, of course, the Montreal crowd would eat it up. But the only part I feel bad about for the kid is you're the catch-22. Yeah, you're in Montreal, but you're in Montreal. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I would say this, that the kind of, if you're going to be that kind of player, like everybody says they are, then they should be able to shine in Montreal. Like no, the real, I, I, the real G's can step up, you know, in, in the yeah. face of enormous pressure. Tell me a little bit about, I guess, kind of growing up, like where did you get your interest in radio and television? Because I, I hear that you start at the fan 590, but like, take me through the process of getting to there. Number one. You know, the fan was uh, my third, I think it was my third station I worked at by that point. I didn't have any interest in TV at all. I loved the radio and wanted to be on the radio, but didn't think you could be on the radio. So to be honest with you, I never like thought about it. I never, I didn't like, how do you go get a job on the radio? Right. So (laughs) I was a, I was a movie theater usher. I delivered newspapers. I was a sandwich maker at Subway and Mr. Submarine. I was a forklift driver at the, for a cargo company at the airport. I would unload limestone and fill in ditches and landscaping jobs. That was just my life. And I assumed that was going to be the rest of my life, to be honest with you. I'm not a guy that grew up with much grand ambition. I thought I would be really, it would, I'd like to be a filmmaker. But again, I didn't quite know how to do that. And also back then in my neighborhood, I grew up in, a, uh, I went from a place called like Jane and Wilson, North York, Jane and Finch, Rexdale area to Rexdale to Malton. I, I didn't know anybody with cameras. You know, so it wasn't like now where everybody could film anything they want and you can edit on your phone. We honestly, there was no connection to the industry for, for, for kids like us back then. So I just got a job at a movie theater as an usher and just thought I would do that, to be honest with you. And then I went to go get a motorcycle license. It was at a, an adult learning center for Humber College, was, which was right beside my radio station, or sorry, the movie theater that I worked at. And I saw in the course calendar radio broadcasting and I said, oh, screw it, I'll just take that. That's honestly how it happened. And then I was thinking I was going to do radio forever. So I got a, my friend built a pirate radio station in Rexdale. I did that for a bit. Then I went out to Kelowna and did a radio show out there in BC, but I, I'd never thought about television. And then I ended up getting a job at a radio station in Toronto called the edge, which was a music station after the fan. And around that point, you know, I had established myself as a bit of a music fan. I was going to a lot of shows, you know, people were starting to get a sense of my energy levels and my, and, and, and the way I viewed the world as a broadcaster. So that then, you know, I did a hosted a comedy show that went on some channels out in Ontario. And, and then honestly, then all of a sudden I got a call to go be at Much Music. Like that's kind of how it happened. I've never really thought about television. And even though I've had a pretty good career in media, you know, pretty strange, wild, very yeah. career. I've never been the guy that had a dream. And like, I, I, cause, because in my childhood, my family, my neighborhood, we don't get to have careers. We had jobs, right? <laughs> So the idea that I would be like, yeah, I'm going to go be on the television. People would be like, are you crazy? It doesn't happen. <laughs> so, so that's kind of always been my approach. And it sort of still is my approach. I still approach every job I've ever had on the, one I, the, the next ones I do with the same energy and the same kind of approach. I think it's interesting that you kind of brought up all these kind of points, right? Because it's like, you know, watching much music now, again, I'm only like 28. So you could be like rolling your eyes and be like, oh no, 28 year old. Uh, but I was 27 when I got the job at much music. Well, exactly. And like, you know what, this is where I think some people kind of find it humorous. When I, when I send out stuff to program directors or even to much music, and I'm like, hey, remember those good old days where you guys used to show? And they're like, doesn't work anymore. I'm like, yeah, but it can. It yeah. can. And then they're just like, those, those, those days have come and gone. And I'm like, why couldn't I have been born a little bit earlier? Well, because it could, listen, it, yeah. could have, it could still work. They just don't yeah. want it to. 
Exactly. But it's just like, you know, growing up and I remember being homesick from school some days or even on Saturdays and I would glue myself. You know, I know it's more or less based for just say a teen to adult audience uh, with some of the later stuff that they did, like, you know, going to the beaches and doing like summer. But I would be watching like much music countdowns. And I said this to Rick and I'll say it to you that like the cast on that show, like some things that you'll see on YouTube you, you stick to one person. It might be like a walk culture wrestling, but you you stay for Simon Miller. Everything else is yeah. no. But when I turn on much, and this is kind of where the heel side comes in here, I would see like Rick come on and do a countdown. And then I'd see you. But at this point, you were basically as an someone like an eight year old watching it. All piercings, like the gelled hair. I was like, who's what? How did this guy get in the door? And then like you're telling me about punk music. And I was just like, oh, OK, this is his this is his stick. Or this this thing. But as I kind of grew up and watched it, and even if I find old clips, I'm like, this guy's very informative. You can see that he's dedicated about what he's talking about. But even just doing like the much news, I, I kind of watched it and it was like, as an eight year old, I'm like, skip. But as I started getting older, I was like, geez, like this is journalism. This is music journalism. Yeah. And you did well for yourself with it because look at where you're yeah. to now yeah it's, been, it's a bit wild if you think about it you know that lineup that that lineup when i was there rick bradford uh rachel perry sookian lee master t namageni ed the sock amanda walsh like rainbow it was quite a lineup what was re- we were part of a really larissa gulka was there simon evans was still producing like it was and many more people it was quite a lineup and uh, i was really we, we sort of look back now going, my, how lucky were we that we got to be a part of all this? I was lucky because I liked, you know, heavy music. I like all music, but I was able to, because I was a little bit older and a little bit more experienced, I was able to do a lot of the bigger interviews at the time because I was the kind of person, if, if an interview went awry, yeah. I was built for it, right? So I, I felt like I could do any genre and, and be a part of anything. And I felt like if the other vj's got other big interviews i was happy for them and wanted them like we were kind of in it together they didn't yeah. all feel that way but a, but a lot <laughs> of us felt that way we were kind of all in it together and it was really it was really awesome like rick and i we're gonna have the best relationship and we had the best relationship then too you know like we were genuinely invested in each other's success and the, you know what was the difference between that and how media has evolved is we actually really cared about the audience like we really cared that the people watching we knew you were young we yeah. wanted you to expect more from yourselves, expect more from your culture and expect more from your artists to be better, to be stronger, to be more inclusive. We wanted yeah. that for you, right? To be, and if you weren't feeling strong, to feel safe around people who were. Like, this is the thing that we really cared about. I, again, when you said you were about, what, 20, 27 when you got the role there? Yeah, so like, so yeah, you know, I'm, yeah. yeah, so like I'm 28 now. So just imagine like if I'm walking in that door at Much Music, just say back then, I'm thinking, great, this is just, this is a gig for me. This is something I'm interested in. But I'd never imagine it to be a part of just say like a Can- or, or Canadian kind of music history or culture where people even my age look back and be like, you know, it's almost like we're 80 years old sitting in chairs going like, oh, man, I wish we had like the much music back then. But it, we grew up in a time that was great. And like, I, I think Rick put it on the spot when we interviewed him and he said, you know, you come in every day energized because who are we interviewing today? Stone Temple Pilots? Who's on next? Backstreet Boys. And you're like, this is Canada. These acts yeah. are coming to Canada. Yeah, man. You yeah. have a crowd outside your window screaming. You have a crowd around in a circle and that like they're getting interactive and i'm like dude like that could still work today but it's just so nuts to look back at 
I, I think I said to Rick, if they ever came out with like a much music kind of Netflix that you looked at the history of that, I'm like, people would look at me like, wow, like that actually happened. I'm like, yeah, a person was literally two, maybe three or four seats away from Avril Lavigne, not knowing who Avril was at the time, but right. you know who she is now. Well, you know, what was interesting about that time was they were the original influencers, the VJs, um, but you had to be about something. You're, you couldn't you couldn't just post a picture of you vacationing in a spot wearing very little, yeah. you know, or looking fit and just going, when I like to get away, I go to this <laughs> resort, which is, what influ- which is what a lot of influencers do today. Back then, if you behave that way, the rest of the VJs and the producers at much oh, would yeah. kind of steer you into, if you're not about something, you're not about anything. Even if it was just like, not everybody had to be punk rock and serious, but you still had to have values. And that's that's what was really special about much music, you know, and the VJs get a lot of credit and they deserve it because they were amazing. I was so lucky to work with them. But the producers were pretty incredible there. And the and the senior management even at the time was really it was kind of a perfect storm of where everybody was on the same page. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I like how you said, like, you had to have a passion with stuff, because I find now when and this could just be me talking here. But like, you know, when you're going into jobs, when you're doing interviews, I find that sometimes someone will say, like, that doesn't come across very passionate. It looks like you did it just to, you know, get an interview or, you know, yeah, you did your job. And then sometimes you'll be surprised because someone will say, yeah, I'm only here for nine to five. Like, this is what I do nine to five. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, if someone came to me 10 o'clock tonight and said, Brian, you got Ava Max to do an interview with, I wouldn't sit there and be like, I'm off the clock. I'd be like, all right, give me five minutes. I will slip out of this boom let's do it and then you know you're gracious because they'll come on and be like did i did i did i wake you did I? and like no no this is great but you're actually saying it's great you're not just putting on a face no it has to be great like otherwise, yeah. what's the point when you're in the public eye and you get to interview people who inspire others and you get to share music with others that is a gift the cost of admission for that is you better give a shit if yeah. it's just a job for you get lost there's a million places to go be in the media this ain't it and I'm unrelenting about that. Like, I know everybody's like, oh, you know, everybody works differently. No, no. If you're not motivated from within and if you're not passionate from within, you, you don't deserve to be on much music or any of those places. Get lost. Go somewhere else. This yeah. is a place that and you can tell because I, listen, man, I've been on the air for th- almost 30 years. I've had shows that have been way bigger than much music. Like I've had a lucky career, but people talk to me about much music more than anything I've ever done. Why is that? Because it mattered. Yeah. Not, you know, and I was so honored and so lucky, not honored, privileged to be a part of that. Right. So we took it super seriously and look at the legacy of it. That yeah. crew was an amazing crew. I was so lucky to work with them. Yeah. I mean, and I don't want to just harp on like just the much music side of things either, because, again, like you've gone and done other things. It's just like to me, when you have someone like a Rick Campanelli or yourself, that's like a, I call it the mainstay. And now I know there's other names, but you you know, when you get a chance to talk to someone like you, you kind of want to bring this stuff up just to, you know, get the mindset. But I'm, I'm I just happy to talk about it. Yeah, like I just loved when you guys had like, and it's it sucks now that's not there because I would have loved to be a teen in Toronto at this point. But like when you used to have like the Much Music Video Awards, and I used to like, I I, I was so jealous. Like I'm not gonna lie. Like if if I seen you on a street today, and this is our first interaction, I'd be like, fucking George Tropolopoulos got to cover Emma, and it's like Brian, leave it alone. It's not even around anymore. I'd be like, no, I'm gonna go up and tell him how I feel. The MMPAs <laughs> were unbelievable. They were, that was the best weekend of the year in my mind in the city were the MMVAs. Because, you know, it's interesting. You talked about how you had all the, the people coming down and knocking on the glass and screaming at the window, right? Which is true. Happened yeah. all the time. 
what was really interesting about it was that you had kids coming from all across the country just to stand on that street corner because of what it meant. And plus the building was cool as hell. The building looked cool, right? And it was in a cool place and it looked like I live if honestly, um where I'm where if you go through my record collection here, right, <laughs> you're outside into the alley. Hang a right. Go down, walk for ten minutes, and you're at much music. Like I oh, live wow. right where much music is. And it's um and I pass it all the time, and it's it's amazing. It's so much fun to be a part of. I sometimes reminisce of even when I go down to like a, my old elementary school, and nothing's changed. Like these are the same, you know, bricks that you walked on when you were five. So like when you're walking now, I don't know if they've made changes, but when you're walking in that area, do you like kind of stand in a certain point? Not like you're telling pedestrians as they walk by, like this is where I did this, but like do you do you get that kind of vibe sometimes? Like this is where I stood when I did yeah. this interview, or this is where I was here when we did this. Sometimes, you know, uh, yeah, no, always. I always walk by it and I look at it and I'm reminded of the cool things that happened there, the fun that we had there. But it's funny because much music is on the corner of Queen and John. CBC TV, News World, CBC Main Network, CBC Radio, and Hockey Night in Canada were all at the corner of Wellington or Front and John. So I have been, and I still have a radio show with CBC, I've been on the air on that street for 21 years on almost 21 years on that street. So the whole, that street is like my entire Canadian career, essentially, for the most part, is right there on that street. So it's, the whole street is kind of wild that way. I kind of want to mention, because getting away from the Much Music side of things too, I guess the hour, because I mean, when you left Much Music, you went right into the, the hour, like kind of a different format. I know it's still interviews, but like you're the, kind of focal point here having a, a guest on what kind of led you to leaving i guess much music creating this show and also like knowing now that this is your own kind of hour what was going through your process or your mind you know i i, I didn't really want to leave much music but it was a new management it was a different direction i didn't really vibe with the direction they were you know they were mostly cool to me uh, about it they wanted me to stay but i I just got a sense it was time. You know, yeah. I had done five years that much. Things were changing there. It wasn't as, it was getting a little bit more, well, you know, you know, you know what it turned into. So it was going down that direction. But I just knew that something was up. And plus, you don't really often get an opportunity to ho launch your own news show and launch your own talk show. And no one in Canada really gets to do that. There's only been a handful in the last 100 years of however long TV's been around, 80 years. Yeah. So, no kidding, George. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, I thought, if I have the opportunity to be one of those people and to do it the way... And listen, we did it for a decade. Like, what a success. Very few ever last a decade as a nightly. So what well, we had an amazing run. And I just, you know, I just thought, what the hell? Let's go get it. Let's go get it. I'm Newfoundland born and raised. So yeah. it's like, you know, Rick Mercer comes to mind. Tom Power. Then Dude, you got... CBC, like, CBC yeah. has, been, has been hiring people from... <laughs> Newfoundland and Labrador and Halifax. Like, honestly, if whenever I hear Canadians bitch and complain about CBC being like Toronto centric, I'm like, CBC ignores Toronto. They only hire people from the East Coast. They only yeah. hire Atlantic Canadians or, or Maritimers or people from the West Coast. Like all of Newfoundland and Halifax was on TV at CBC at one point. Yeah, except for me, George. No, no, no. Well, pretty much everybody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, like it's it's funny because when I was actually talking to CBC uh, the other day, because we, we were just on, because um, we're trying to promote the podcast a little bit more through platforms. And 
uh, I had even mentioned to Tom Power, I was like, man, I'm not up against you in any way, but it's like, dude, like, I'd love to have your seat one day. And he was just like, he's like, well, you know, when I ever, when I go, they might, they might just be looking for like, okay, where's the next Newfoundland host to? It's like, you're not even going to, you're not going to advertise it. No, no. I'm just like, okay. But that's I, I just, yeah, I just think it's so funny because like you look at these names and for as much harp as people will give Newfoundland for, oh, you're an island. You don't get a lot of exposure. I'm like, geez, it's a catch 22 for me because if I ever want to go into the media, then I'm looking at pe- people are here in Newfoundland going like, is he going to be the, rec- the next Rick Mercer, next Tom Power? I'm like, okay, easy, easy. <laughs> like, but let me be, get off. It could be any. It could be any. I mean, CBC had that big that big setup uh, in Halifax, right? That studio. So yeah. there's lots coming out of there as well. So yeah, look, CBC. I mean, CBC has done the best job of representing Canadians for the most part, certainly better than anybody else has. But look, we all we all host a show and then we leave the show. Yeah. Somebody else has to take place. If you want the, if you want to host Q, then you got to make yourself undeniable to be the person that hosts Q. Well, it's it's just so funny because I look at it too as the um because when I was actually starting this podcast, uh, I'm a big fan of Conan O'Brien. So like you know watching him go from the late night show to the night show, kind of getting that ripped away from him, and then he made the joke and like always self humorous, always a class act. But he's like I'm calling the show Conan, making the humorous joke of no one can replace me when I call it Conan. That's right. And I was like. <laughs> I have to call this Tobin tonight just because, yeah. you know, if someone else comes out of the wing, I'm like, no, 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 you have to yep. be a Tobin and you have to do it this way. And then they're like, okay. And then I'm like, there you go. I can't be replaced. Can't be replaced. Watch, watch now, midway through this interview, I get a call. Tobin, we actually got your replacement in for George. I'd be like, no. You, but here's the thing. You want to be replaced eventually because it is yeah. your job. It is your job to create something that will last beyond you. It's your response. They give you the keys to the car. You drive it for a while, and then you hand it over to somebody else. Yeah, just just pass it back with a few bumps along the way because you were the rookie driver. But yeah, you know, That's no worries. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I want to ask you how it became. I guess the hour to cutting it down to a half hour. Was there like a reason for that? And who are some of your favorite interviews during this time? I think we cut it to a half hour because we moved to seven o'clock. Okay. So CBC was. They were experimenting with local news. They were experimenting with viewership. They were experimenting. And I think they ran into some, you know, they needed a show to be on at seven. So that put us on. I knew it was never going to work at seven because the show that they wanted me to do, I didn't want to do. But, you, you know, you do your job. You do, you, you know, you, I'm, I'm a loyal teammate. So when they said, hey, we need this, I'm like, sure, we'll do it. But seven o'clock is the wrong time for that kind of show. It's <laughs> the wrong time. But it was honestly just to fill in. It was just a, we, they needed a show there. So that's it. But then, then I think that it did go back to an hour. Yeah. At some point. I can't remember when, but I think it did go back to an hour eventually. And then we were back on at 11 o'clock. We were doing 7 and 11. It was a strange, it was a strange time there. You know, CBC is always like, always trying to figure out ways to make the budget work. You know, it's expensive to make television and ad dollars aren't what they used to be. And there's always, you know, I was on the air during the Harper run, right? I care that much about CBC. So there were a lot of, a lot of things, but also it's like, it's, I like when shows evolve, it keeps it fresh. So, and then they, they were going to name the show after me before, like back when I first went there, CBC, the person in charge of news at the time, wouldn't let a show be named after a person. So that was just because CBC is very much was at that time, very much did not want stars. Yeah. Not want, it's very Canadian. Canadians don't really, the Canadian industry doesn't really want you to, to be a star. There's, well, at least it's designed that way, right? Yes. So certainly back then. 
So we came up with the name The Hour, and then uh, and then eventually when New Boss came in, who understood stars, and under, like not stars, but understood the idea of building a, a star culture in Canada, they renamed the show after me. The other thing I want to mention, though, is like, because I, I kind of gave you an example of some of my kind of key interviews that I liked that you did, just because, you know, I grew up watching wrestling, so Austin was a big one for me. Regis, of course, with just the occurrence of what's happened recently, but like, I grew up watching Regis, and I don't mean this in an offensive way to him, but like, he reminds me of kind of like my nan, because that's yeah. where I would watch it. I would watch live with Regis Kelly in mornings that you didn't have school or that you were off, and this is what nan watched. So I was like, so, and he just had that kind of self-humorous demeanor, like even watching him on How I Met Your Mother going off Barney, where it's like, you know, where's the sub? It's like, I don't know, Regis. And uh, I was like, okay, he gets it. Yeah. Like, he's very yeah. entertaining. What were some of your favorite interviews? You know, I mean, I, there's so many, dude, it's hard to, to nail it. But I like uh, I was very lucky to interview Patty Smith and Michael J. Fox and Alan Thicke was amazing. So many social activists, June Caldwood, authors like Gore Vidal and Stephen King and, and Margaret Atwood and Chuck D. Have, like interviewing Chuck D, Cypress Hill and interviewing the Sugar Hill Gang, like legends <laughs> of music, right? Interviewing Coldplay, U2 over the years. Angela Davis, one of my heroes, was on the show. I interviewed Oprah eight times, you know, like oh, wow. so many artists like that, that kind of, they, they, they reach you in different ways for sure. But I loved, I loved talking to authors and directors was usually like Quentin Tarantino. I loved interviewing Quentin D. Reese. Directors and authors were the most entertaining to talk to because they're, they're equipped to talk about their craft. They weren't playing cool. Yeah. Right? Sometimes when you're interviewing people, you have to kind of get through the artifice of its television or celebrities, right? But directors and, and writers authors were a little bit more comfortable talking about their thing so i always really enjoyed speaking with tarantino was like i loved talking to tarantino i i can imagine it's hard to pick some favorites because you, you've done it for what was it like so 2005 to 2014 so yeah. but what's that like maybe about 10 not 10 years or so we did 10 seasons uh, yeah, yeah but th thousands of interviews yeah exactly so to it's pick out a few like, like three or four a night sometimes yeah you know? Yeah, like I, I, I laugh at it because when someone when one of my friends asks me, like, who's your favorite interview so far? I'm like, I've got 80 odd episodes right now. But like even me, I'm trying to pinpoint like not being disrespectful to to acts. But it's like, you know, I grew up watching Colin Mockery on Whose Line. So to me, that was a first big get. But I always want to praise the first person who ever comes on a podcast or a show when you have nothing to basically send them when yeah. it's like so like Jimmy Rankin to me, it's like his his wife goes like oh like, can you send us some stuff i'm like yeah i've got nothing to send you um but what do you do an interview and jimmy was like love to east coast yeah. i'm like I'm like represent yeah but he's great jimmy's great <laughs> yeah but like that's like your first one because that gives you a leeway to go yeah. places so like you know for example now when i have you on and i send that they'll be like oh well who are some names that you have on and if i go george strombo someone will be like oh perfect okay good that's a name we can All use right. it but if it helps yeah. It helps. I'm happy to do it. <laughs> if, yeah, if it helps. I kind of want to mention this with the hour as well, because, uh, and again, not in a mean way, just, you know, curious mind here. When we see you on Much Music, gelled here, laid back, piercings, when you're on the hour, this kind of stuff kind of goes away. Like the metal shirts are not always there. It seems a little bit more tidied up. Like, was that a CBC thing or was this you kind of growing a, no. up a little bit? Did you, but those first few years of the hour, I still had the nose rings and I still wore the black t-shirt and the same. Yeah. Of None of it went away. In fact, it was all still there. The difference was I didn't have band shirts on it. Cause I didn't, you, if you have the metal shirts on the air, 
different networks, you have to clear the you have to clear the rights to use it, right? Yeah. But but no, in fact, CBC asked me not to change because they didn't want people to think they asked me to change. So I still had my nose ring, I had my spiky hair, dude. Nothing changed about my thing except for the logos on the shirts. Same jeans, <laughs> same shoes, same belt, same T-shirts for the most part for years and years. But you know, it's interesting as you when you're on the air for a long time. You got to evolve. You want you want to grow up. You want not grow up. You want to evolve because yeah. if you do the same thing you did 20 years earlier or 10 years earlier, what, what why? Right? Yeah. Why? But look, I mean, I'm I'm still wearing my my metal t-shirts, you know, in my regular life, and I wore some of them on. I still put Slayer on the show, so none of it really changed. Um, you know, obviously you go to late night talk shows, but what I didn't do is put on a suit. That's what yeah. most. That's what every talk show host does, and I wouldn't do that. And that's that's something I was actually going to get into or a little bit of credit there because it's a very, I guess, Canadian aspect but laid back approach. It's like you're in jeans, you're in a shirt. Like maybe at times it was a little bit more business casual in the sense of some some interviews when I looked at it, it was like a little bit dressed up but not overly dressy. I always thought like okay, this just the vibe that it had two red couches almost there, just sitting across from each other, audience there. It's not like you're sitting behind a desk where you kind of have a barrier between you and the act. It was very opened. Here's yeah. the secret to your outfit, and this is part of the reason why mine evolved over time. You always dress the venue, yeah. right? You always dress the venue because the venue, your set, however you design that you think the set should look, you can't look like you broke in. <laughs> you got to look like you belong, right? Yeah. So you always got to dress the set. Uh, and so as our set changed, I would adjust my outfits to, 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 to work with the set. Because I, I'm just trying to remember like the sets because I, I know like sometimes if I'm correct – it seems like the music changed a little bit. Sometimes the intros changed in terms of like doing a video package. And I, I saw that as like, okay, that's a growing up process. Now, like your question way or like your your way of doing interviews. Yeah, it might have evolved a little bit, but it, it stayed the core, which I liked. Like, yeah, I, again, sometimes and sometimes yeah. it's not you're not growing up. The, the thing what you're doing is you're, you're freshening it up because, you know, the audience, people watching hear a song. They just go, oh, that's this part again. So sometimes yeah. you change it up, right? So a lot of it is just keeping things fresh and tweaking it to try to, to keep yourself interested as well. At some yeah. point, I'm like, I'm bored of that tune. Let's pick another one, you know? Yeah, no, no. I, I thought it was just interesting because like even over the years when you watch like a YouTube clip now, you can definitely tell if it's a later season or yeah. and just yeah. the video packages. But I'm like, okay, like, I mean, to bring back a, a kind of a Conan reference when he was going from like late night to tonight show, people were criticizing like it's time for going, Conan to grow up. And Conan said you know, I'm not doing that. Like you can, just because I'm going to an earlier time slot. And I was like, I, I think I sat in the seat going like, whew, like, thank God. Like we're still getting Conan. That's what I felt like when you're, when you were doing the hour and it's like, okay, still doing the same style. Cause heaven forbid at one point you turn on, and it's like, I'm George Stropolopoulos and welcome to the hour. I'd be like, yeah. you're not George. Where's George? Yeah. 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 It's right. <laughs> no, you gotta, it's, it's, a, and you know what? It's a very delicate process. It's not easy to do to kind of evolve your style when you've been on TV for a long time. Cause there'll be people who still say, how come you don't do this? And I'm like, well, cause I was 28. I'm 48 now. It's different. Like, you grow as a human being. Yeah. And if you, if you are exactly the same 20 years later, like your core values should be intact, but if you're yeah. exactly the same, then have you not learned anything? Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's, 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 it's a delicate process. I have found the secret to this business is to care how people feel but don't care what they think about you. Like, you you know, you want them to like you, but you don't need them to like you. And you have to decide what are you comfortable with? Like, 
you know, for example, Conan made his choices about the Tonight Show. That's why Conan's not hosting the Tonight Show anymore. He's okay with that. Like, yeah. not everything is going to go the way outside people expect it to go if you're making yeah. your choices, right? So you gotta you gotta make choices. You gotta pick where your compromises are. You also have to understand that when you're doing a show, like when I did my show, and when Conan was doing his show, or anybody, yes, it's your show, but you are also representing a really important team. So it's not just you. It is you are the front, but you are and you are you are the producer and you are the lead of it. But you still have to recognize that it's not just what you think today. Otherwise, your show's going to be narrow. Right. Yeah. You have to reflect and respect the crew that you got around you. That's the key to it. Well, I, I mean, just to bring up the last point on Conan before we get into the other topic there. But I kind of like how when you mentioned like with the team, because in my mind, now I'm very like narrow when it came to this stuff. But when Conan went from L.A. and then to do tonight show, I was like, oh, geez, he's going to come right back to New York now to do Conan because that makes sense. But then you're thinking he's brought his whole friggin team out to L.A. He didn't want to go 12.05 for tonight show because of, you know, the legacy that had, even though yeah. I guess NBC kind of just said, like, fuck the legacy. But I just thought it was really interesting because once he kind of dissected it a little bit more, I'm like, OK, because if it was me on the on the spot, like knowing that I'm not as many years as in as Conan or whatever. If someone said that to me tomorrow, I'm like, it's only me and Bradley or it's only me and him. Yeah. OK, Bradley, this didn't work. I know we've only landed here. Let's move. But you forget that sometimes these people have families, kids rolled in school. So, you know, when Conan actually came out with that, at first I was like, stupid move. And then when he said it a little bit more, I was like, all right, stupid Tobin. (laughs) And you know what? There's no, there actually isn't even a right way to do it. Right. You just got to do the thing you want to do. And I think I respect, I I think Conan has, of all the late night talk scenario, like the person that was my favorite aside from Dave or John Stewart was Craig Ferguson. Right. Yeah. The way the way you are about Conan, I, I was about Craig. Right. But Conan is one of a kind. So special. And of all of the people doing late night talk now in different versions, Conan is making by far and was the most interesting things. Yeah. Not counting, you know, Bill Maher, John Oliver that and Samantha B. That's a different thing. Right. But like that, that sort of like interview talk show desk guest format thing. Conan's like travel stuff's incredible. Conan's online bits are incredible. Yeah, I think Conan Conan has really hit a sweet spot for who he is, at least for me as a fan. Conan to me was like in the '90s, so I'm just kind of growing up. So I I've seen him a little bit more as the Tonight Show and Late Night. Right. But when I watch some of the stuff, like some of the classic bits that some people are like, well, that's not classic, but. Like the New York bit where it's on strike and he's literally going around in a car picking up people and someone goes, yeah, like the, 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 I think she says like the bus or the train doesn't go all the way out there. And she's like, that'd be lovely. And he just looks straight dead, looks her in the face, go like, yeah, that's not happening. Yeah. And like, even if it's planned, I'm just like, just him, just that humor of, uh, this might not go as well as we wanted it to, but okay. He's the, so comfortable. He's yeah. so comfortable. <laughs> The, the last thing I kind of want to mention here as well, because I, I feel this would be a little bit more of the difficult topic. You seem like a laid back person. So nothing gonna... difficult. There's yeah. nothing difficult about talking to me, man. Like I, uh, I can handle anything. Okay. So like you go from the hour to doing Hockey Night in Canada. Now for me, I like the idea. I thought like this was going to be great because Rogers is kind of going into this youth movement. Little did everyone know that it was going to kind of be a a bite in the ass because young people, as much as you want them to do stuff, sometimes they're just not involved in it. Like 
I, I don't know. Like, and the Canadian teams were doing bad as well. But I, I like the approach. Like, I like that you were a host. I thought, okay, we're getting rid of Ron. Not that anything was wrong with Ron. It's just that yeah. we want it, we want another person to come in. Yeah. And I just think it's almost like you taking a bullet. Now, feel free to like jump in when I get this done here. But like, teams aren't going so great. Rogers is just getting the deal per se. I didn't like certain aspects that they were doing at sports that like I've shown a big screen where it's like, and here you can see it's like, no, I just seen it. Like you don't have to show me on a bigger screen. You don't have to have Nick Kiprios hold a stick to show me the stick handle. Some of this stuff is like, as a host, I'm like, oh, that gotta be hard to, to draw in a crowd. But how is your time there? And like, what did you take away from it when they kind of said it's time to go? You know what? I enjoy, I enjoyed large parts of it. I knew it was going to be a challenge to go. You know, it's funny you said that thing about youth because you know what they told me? That when I was the host, the bot, the ratings went up for women and people under 30. So it actually yeah. was working. Yeah. The issue is that, listen, there were myriad reasons why it ended the way it ended. But I, there are very few people in the history of this country that get the opportunity to host Hockey Night in Canada. And I got to check that box, right? They hired me to do something. I could have done it. When I got there, they didn't want to do it, so it went the way it went. But that's that's TV, which is okay. Um, also, it's a really high-profile gig that everybody has an opinion on. Yeah. And I think it's a really important – like, one thing you'll never get with me is I will never make my decisions based on fear. I will never make my decisions based on insecurities. I don't care about any <laughs> of that shit. To me, that shit is like – there are so many obstacles that will be thrown in front of you in life anyway. Why would you get in your own way? And why would you let what some person who doesn't know you thinks about you affect your, your decision making? I'm just never going to be that person. I knew if they let me do the thing that I was supposed to do, it would have really worked. But when I got there, it became very apparent that that's not what they wanted to do. So I was like, cool, then I'm just going to do the show. And it, and it just, it, that's TV. Like TV wins, you know, that happens. But it was a great experience for the most part. The crew I worked with, I, I liked all of them. But you just look back and go, okay, well, this isn't going to work. So that's cool. That's a, that didn't bother me so much. Now, I, and I don't mean to like kind of ruffle feathers, but like, you know, as a young journalist in kind of training, as I will call it, or a young journalist on the fly, when you mentioned the thing that they wanted, that you wanted to do, are you able to get into a little bit of detail of what that is? Okay. No, that's fine. It's just. No, you can ask I, it. No, no, yeah. it was it, honestly, no, it's, it's not that it was like a thing. It, there was a thing, but it was more I, like the, the one thing that I had done, this is what a lot of people didn't realize about that job. Cause I, I remember, and it's hard to say this cause you, it, you don't ever want to. It's never about being cocky. It's never about bragging, but it's about being confident in your ability, right? Absolutely. By the time I got to that show, I was the most experienced person to ever start hosting Hockey Night in Canada. In that, Ron was like 26. Dave Hodge was 26. Like, they were young. They were great. Yeah. They are great. But, like, by the time I got to that show, I knew how to host a show. Yeah. And so there was a guy who said to me, one of the on-air guys said to me, Hey, listen, you know, you're not from the hockey world. Da, 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 da. And I said to him, I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. whoa. I'm not playing hockey. I'm hosting a show. I've been doing this longer than you've been doing this, right? Yeah. So what they didn't do was they, they here, here's what I think. Hockey Night in Canada is this really important national tradition. It needed to evolve. It needed to grow. You watched what happened. They blew themselves up with racism last year because they were yeah. ill-equipped Ill to handle real things, right? So the, I believe what happened was the the cable sports crew didn't really respect what 
the tradition in CBC means, right? They didn't, and that's what I, and I was, and I've said this to them, I was, so I'm not speaking out of school here. I was the only person on that team who had actually done a national cultural show. I don't mean yeah. the on-air people. The on-air guys were great. They, they had, everybody filled a role, right? I'm not, I'm talking about yeah. like, so what we were supposed to do was evolve the show, prepare the show. Like, that's why when all that racism stuff happened, which had been happening for a long time, like, they, that's why it blew up. Because it's the same crew of people that have been telling that story for a long time. And I mean behind the scenes, right? It wasn't, I was trying to take it to a place where it would never have had that problem. But that's <laughs> not what they wanted. That's yeah. not what they wanted. And it was obviously very different. It was a very different crew of, uh, of people. And the guy that brought me on board ended up leaving. Yeah. So then I knew it's like, oh, well, I'm not going to stay here. I came to work with him. Yeah. He's gone. So that'll be the, that'll be the end of this for me, too. And and yeah, and like I, I don't mean like to, to kind of pinpoint it on on you or say like, OK, well, like th this was a failure on his part because it's not like everything is a learning curve. I, I believe Letterman and I think it's either Letterman or Stewart says like without failure, you're not going to have success. So you want to fail. And I'm not saying that's the case here, but it's just like they could have put anybody in that shoes that just came out like if they put rick campanelli or someone that wasn't a hockey background person it's going to have the same aspect just because in my mind it was almost like the older generation that are watching this are so comfortable with ron mcclain okay yeah he knows the bo hockey book inside and out so you're going to get this guy that i've never heard of never probably laced up skates coming in and i'm not saying you haven't obviously canadian laced up skates somewhere but just not to the aspect of the mcclain background so no matter who was coming in, it was going to be. Listen, I yeah, remember, bad. I remember when Dave Hodge was taken off Hockey Night in Canada, and I remember how much they killed Ron. The only yeah. difference was Twitter, right? It's a different culture. That's yeah. all. It's just, it's just a different world. And one day I'll tell the real story, like the detailed story of all the yeah. of all the things that they, that happened there. Today's not the day, and <laughs> I haven't, and I haven't told it to this point, right? No, no, that's that's fine. Yeah, but, like I'm, but, I'm not going to pressure you on it. But, oh no, like you can pressure me all you want. I'm <laughs> whatever you want. I would never tell you what that you asked. Whatever you want. I'm just saying that to do the goal they had in mind, they couldn't get to the way they did it. They couldn't get to the way they did it. Th that's really what it is. Th but they could have got to their goal, just not the way they, not not with the things that they put in place, right? Which is totally fair. You know, and they made their choices, and that's fine. Like in the moment, I wasn't uh, the, the moment that I got the call to go work there. I was like, "This is a bad idea," because <laughs> I said to them, "You don't want to do what you're asking me to do." Yeah, yeah. They said, "We do," and I said, "No, you don't. You yeah. don't." <laughs> and they said, "We do," and I said, "All right, fuck it, I'll do it." Because why not? And yeah, I actually absolutely. said to them, "My first choice for the host of Hockey Night in Canada is Ron. If it's not going to be Ron." My second choice is me, so I'll yeah. do it, right? Yeah. But because why not? Like why not to host your own late night talk show and then to host Hockey Night in Canada? I really did. I really do believe that sports broadcasting has shown. Not I'm not talking about Hockey Night in Canada here. I'm talking about all of it. Sports broadcasting has shown how profoundly ill-equipped it is, it is for the real talk that's been going on. Watching broadcasters struggle with the Me Too movement when a player gets accused of groping a woman watching meaningful play by meaningful like broadcasters in America and Canada yeah. dismiss the woman's claims and just downplay it. watching the black lives matter movement watching broadcasters fucking scramble <laughs> to be even remotely on point this has been coming for a long time this has been coming for a long time you see for you you talk about Conan right for me it's yeah. Keith Oberman so 
Keith Oberman, to me, is the guy that gets it right. Keith Oberman was a sportscaster, a fucking newscaster, a journalist, a radio person, a television person. A right, like To me, Keith Oberman is like the model, right? Yeah. He's the guy that I looked at and was like, that is my favorite. And he, interestingly enough, the person that reached out to me when I got Hockey Night in Canada was Keith Oberman. And I didn't know him. He reached out to me to say, I love what you're doing, right? Like, he was behind me the whole way. Keith has become a brother now. He's become family to me. And it, because Keith knew what I was trying to do, right? But like, like it's like anything. You have these, you have these ideas. You want to go get them. And then you look around very quickly and go, oh, I, I can't build a shed. I can't build a house if you give me tools to build a shed only, right? Yeah. So yeah. I was like, all right, well, cool. You know, but the important part is that it doesn't matter how it turned out, right? Because weirdly enough, I know this is going to sound wild because I don't know when this is going to go up when you're going to hear this, but yeah. I'm about to launch the biggest show of my career. So to me, like Hockey Night in Canada wasn't the, it's like, oh, that's ended now. What am I going to do? I put, put it into place right away and I'm going to launch the biggest show of my career pretty soon and I'm going to have a whole lot of fun with it because I knew it was coming. Like I yeah. knew that this is all part of the process. It's only with shows like, there are very few shows, like Hockey Night in Canada, in Canada, The Tonight Show. Really, those are the two shows where the brand, it's even, like, in a way, Monday Night Football is like, it's a, it's, it's just, it's a different thing. It doesn't even have the same legacy, really, that hockey did here. So yeah. I knew, like, going into it, it's like, there's no way, you know, there, and also, I knew there was shit going on behind the scenes that if you ever heard about it, You'd be like, oh wow, they did them. That that was crazy, right? Yeah. But I but I was like, yeah, man, I'm a grown ass person. I can fucking handle this. This is this is a cool thing. The, I get to host Hockey Night in Canada. I had a blast doing it. Right. It was a strange experience in one respect, but it was yeah. also awesome in another. Well, like when you were mentioning a little bit there about like you know the racism, the Me Too movements, and how broadcasters and companies are like kind of trying to handle yeah. it and what it. And like, that was to all. That was to all sports broadcasters. Yeah, that yeah, like. No, show. no, because like, yeah. I, I was actually going to agree with you on that aspect because, you know, when they had TSNs, I think it's Kayla Gray had about like the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think it was a, someone in Toronto. I don't know if it was a reporter or just I think it was a reporter kind of tweeted at her on fate or uh, tweeted at her on Twitter and they went back and forth. And then it was almost like TSN had to come out and more or less say like, yeah, we're sorry we didn't jump on this earlier. We totally support Kayla. And I'm like, you're only doing that now because there's enough backlash here. It's like, yeah. if you really supported her, you would have, a TSN Twitter would have came in and said, buddy, back off, leave her alone. But. Look, it's a culture. Yeah. It's a culture that has been profoundly exclusive. And Hockey Night in Canada has had its definite legacy of racism and flaws for sure. But it has been far more inclusive than cable sports has been. Yeah. True, true in the United States as well. ESPN far more exclusive. They they they're more diverse in their in their hiring for sure. But culturally speaking, you watch them all fucking pound on Colin Kaepernick. Guess he was right. Yeah. And I think a lot of it's to do with the fact that, you know, and and this is listen, this is how I truly feel. And to your point about how certain broadcasters or networks come out because of backlash, you intrinsically in your life in your heart know that you're either for injustice or against injustice. Yeah. And the people who claim to be moderates, that's the most bullshit line ever for a broadcaster because what it means is you're willing, it's like you may not be a racist, but racism isn't a deal breaker for you. Right? Yeah. Racism is a deal breaker for me. The shit that I used to call them out on when I worked there, 
was real. Like I would say, hey, we don't do that. Hey, we don't do that. Hey, we don't do that. Hey, yeah. we don't do that. Because in your core, you have to know, like you have to know that it's your job. If you're a person in this business who gets a platform, but also if you're a cis male white person in this business, you've been afforded so much privilege, so much luck comes with just being the fact that you're like a, a white straight guy in this business, right? It is your responsibility to stand up for other people who don't have that privilege. That's how I believe. And that was never going to fly with the Hockey Night in Canada crowd. But I don't care. I did it anyway, right? And yeah. it certainly wasn't going to fly with the crowd. And here's what I would say to them. The crowd would have come on board. Like I said, young people were coming on board. And, yeah. and women were coming on board by, by ratings. That's what I, but, but my bosses told me this, right? So they were going to come on board. It was the industry. And you think I give a shit what a bunch of racist general managers think? I don't care. <laughs> We're yeah. going to outlast them anyway because we were on the right path. Now, yeah. right, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not naming anybody in particular. I'm, I'm just saying in general, in all sports, yeah. right? It's been pretty apparent that racism is rampant in sports, right? Pretty apparent. And I was just, like, not going to be on that side. I was going to be on the side that was against it. So I knew that I was going to run into issues when I took the job, not because of just my position on race. I'm not saying they're all racist. I'm yeah. saying because I had a more progressive worldview. They weren't, that wasn't really going to be, I didn't think that the management at Rogers was going to be able to hang on for some of the emails they got, right? Because yeah. I knew they were going to sort of side with the older, more, you know, whatever crowd. I knew that, but I still was going to, you still got to give it your fight. You know, you got to be there for it. Absolutely. Um, George, we're, we're almost concluding here at the, at the end. The, I guess the, like the last question I kind of want to end off here with is like, with all the stuff that you've done with your career, what you're doing now, even with your Strombo show there on a CBC, like what uh, I guess are some of the highlights and what kind of things do you want to see next coming down the pipeline? You know, my, I hosted my dream job show, which was the new music on Much Music. That was the dream job. So anything after that's gravy, right? The things that I like to do is next are I have a new music thing coming, which I'm really excited about. I have a new film that I co-produced, which I'm really excited about. So I like doing lots of different things. So for me, it's it's staying vital and constantly moving. You'll hear in this business, especially the more you get entrenched in it, people will tell you to stay in your lane. Fuck that. Yeah. Are lanes, right. And it doesn't even matter if the audience comes along with you. Do the thing that you believe in the most. And if that shifts, do that too. Um, so I have, to me, you know, helping the next generation of people do their thing, helping them grow and learn is really exciting to me. So I kind of like doing that on top of doing my, my, my new shows, which are coming. So I've, I've, I've had such a lucky and privileged career. I'm so, I'm so grateful for it. And I know that I'm only like, what, halfway through it. So, so, so I got more yeah, to come. Yeah. I, I like I like how you look at your watch. Like um, your watch tells you like, yeah, George, yeah, you're like, right here. You're about. But I know that it's uh, I know that it's coming. That it's it's like, like I, I was going to say, like, you know, like, George, I thought one of the highlights would be like, you know, I was on this Canadian podcast with this Newfoundland host. He gave me the honor of showing up with a Montreal jersey when he was a Detroit fan. Like, George, what are you doing? <laughs> What number's on the back? What number's on the back? Um, I think it's Marner 16. No, I'm not kidding. Uh, it, it, it's no number. It's Whatever. just a generic jersey. That's yeah, how you play it safe. On my Instagram post, I think not the last one, but the one before, I had a picture of me and Gordy Howe. And it was for the start of hockey, right? And yeah. so I'm, and I've been able to spend some time with Gordy. And I was always grateful for the time with Gordy. You're, you're a Red Ring legend. But so I'm wearing a shirt buttoned up. 
<laughs> so I said, yo, Gordy, let's take a picture. He said, cool. So I just do that. I surprise him yeah, by pulling yeah. out the Habs thing. Gordy had had a Sharpie in his hand because he was signing autographs for people. Yeah. He went to vandalize my shirt. <laughs> so that's what that photo is because he's like, oh, you bad. Like, Gordy yeah. was such a great guy, man, such a great spirit. So I always fuck with Gordy. As, I used to fuck with him and Bobby Orr because Bobby Orr was yeah. a dirty Bruin. He used to yeah. come up to me. He's like, where's the dirty Hab? You know, and <laughs> – and I loved, I loved that. So that's what that photo was with me and the, and the Red Wing legend Gordy Howe was me surprising him with a Habs jersey because I know how much he hated a logo because I know how much he hated the Habs back in the day. Well, it's funny because I've just to kind of concluded on this is when I was, um, I believe, 16 or, or it could have been 14 or 16, I was in the hospital with the seizure. And I think Bobby Orr had come to like whatever the it's like the ghouls arena to sign stuff. And I was yeah. so pissed because I wasn't able to go. So my brother brought down, I think you could buy like eight by tens or whatever so he bought one of those got bobby or to sign it and then he brought i think it was like a chicago jersey and it didn't have his name on the back it was like one of my old brother's one and my parents were like don't give that to bobby or like he's not going to sign that what are you doing and my brother was like yeah but who cares if he signs it great if he doesn't like who gives a shit he's only he here for like you play for the hawks yeah. yeah exactly so who but it's not like it wasn't his name and he and he signed it like he signed it wrong like to brian with an i but apparently the the encounter was like that's this isn't me this isn't my name on the back and he's like yeah i know but it's for my brother he's sick blah 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 and he was like fuck it whatever like to brian best of luck bobby or and i just wanted like if i was ever in that situation look look at the name on the back and be like like and remember i was better than this guy like uh, at least right. then you'd have it on the jersey for life but i thought i have really signed um i have been asked to sign many leaf jerseys in my life and i always draw a canadian's logo on it oh See that that's that's what I do. Like if someone came up to me and was like, uh, "Can you can you sign this like Avalanche jersey or this Joe?" Like I love Joe Sackick, no question. Like you know, great Canadian hockey player. But if someone came up and like, Brian, here's a Colorado thing or at least something they know you don't like, I'd be like, "No problem. I know you want my signature for it." Not at this point in my career, but who knows? But I like just minor detail on it just so that they know like you know you brought the wrong thing to me (laughs) Sackick was amazing but to me he was still a Quebec Nordique so I I don't the avalanche I just think are the extension of the Nordiques and they were and they were the real rivalry so as a Habs fan the Bruins and the Leafs were of course big rivals but the real great rivalry for us were the Nords well uh uh George I think Thanks so much for hopping on and taking the time to do the podcast. I mean, like, I guess while I got you here, while you're in the hot seat, um, I'm going to pitch an idea that I come on your show. No, I'm only kidding. kidding. Imagine you just have like a show. It's like, this guy, I was on his show. Now we got to do my name. People be like, geez, he's really really struggling there. That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to George Strambolombolis for coming on the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Toby to myself, this is Jacob saying thank you for listening and good night. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Do 
did will the story of people podcast is now available on the crier media network the first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories ready tara sloan from the san jose sharks undercurrent podcast at nbc sports Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.